Well, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving, whatever the greeting is for that, and and happy Advent. Uh, If you could turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 15, and we'll be reading, and and Sarah will be reading for us verses 7 through 21. Good morning. Genesis 15, 7 to 21. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The word is the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Sarah. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your providence of the seasons and uh, how each season brings with it new uh, excitements, new positives, new challenges. Um, Lord, thank you for the the aspect of looking forward to Christmas about this time and help us to, to fix our minds and our attention and hearts and to, to what we can continue to look forward to in the ways that you show up in our lives. And it's not just in the past, it's not just now, but it, it will be in the future. You will keep showing up, you will keep meeting us, you will keep showing us your goodness and your faithfulness. Would you do that for us in this congregation? Would you do that this morning? Would you show up to us in the power of your Spirit so that we can see more clearly who you are, so that we can have a better assurance and rest and confidence about your presence with us and, and your love for us? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're taking a, a little bit of a break from a series going through the life of Jacob that we've been in. We'll pick back up with that series in the new year, and we're now, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're, we're 
going to be looking in uh, these next few weeks a series looking at various places in the Bible. Uh, I actually titled the series, God Shows Up. All right, so, so this is kind of what we're looking at where, where God shows up in visible and physical ways. He, he, he makes himself known, obviously culminating in the birth of Jesus, which is sort of the, the clearest, most powerful way that God shows up in uh, his presence. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure that you came just itching to learn a new theological term today, so I, I'm, I'm happy to provide that for you. So, uh, the, the term, there's a theological term for what we're talking about. It's called a theophany. All right, and you break that word down, it's just theos, phaniemi, it's God appearing. That's just so fancy way of saying the same thing. Um, so these, my hope is, though, in these appearances of God, theophanies, the, the ways that God shows up, or as we look at the, a number of these different ways, the, the hope is that we're going to gain some insight into who God is, right? His character, the way that he shows up is, is revealing some of who he is. He's telling us things in, in how he shows up, how he shows his presence, and that's what I want us to see. Um, who is this God? Who's, who's the one who, who saves us ultimately in Jesus? Now, part of the challenge of this particular passage is not simply that this is a bizarre, weird ceremony. We don't really understand. It's strange. We don't have anything like this, um, probably, that we're doing, cutting animals in half and, and so forth. Um, but so, that, I mean, that's part of it. But the other part of it is that what God is actually doing, what God is saying, is also totally strange. It is also totally unheard of at all times, in all places. It's, it's very hard for us to wrap our heads around. Now, I think that some of this, right, when we read through this passage, we can grasp some of the solemnity that comes when there's a, a vow ceremony, right? That's, that's what's happening here. There, there's a, a solemnness, and, you know, we, we get this, right? There, that goes along with, um, you know, wedding ceremonies. And also, I think we have a even more common, probably more frequent, sort of example of some of the seriousness, right, that comes with, um, you have business dealings, business contracts, right? You think about when you get a, a serious business contract, right, lots of money involved or, or things of that nature, and you will see this very, very long contract that you will get, right, pages and pages of all of these consequences and stipulations and conditions of you know, what you're on the hook for, here's what's going to happen if you don't hold up your side of the bargain, and, and all of these kinds of things. So imagine if, though, you were able, you, you got one of these sorts of things, or these kind of like small books of contracts that come, right, just these pages and pages, right, and all the fine print, and you come to the end of it, right, and at the very bottom or the very last page, you see, though, that there's there's only space for one signature, right? And it's the company. That, that's the only, there's a representative of the company that is supposed to sign all of these terms, all of these agreements, pages, dozens of pages of how they are going to commit themselves to you and their responsibility to take care of you and hold up their side, and, and, uh, and they just sign that and you do nothing. I, I would love, that would be a great company. 
Um, that's, that's sort of what is happening here with Abraham. Right? It, it's, a, it's a bizarre thing that God does here. And the main point for us from this passage is really it's pretty simple. Is you can be sure that God is for you. And to be clear, I should say, if you are trusting in Jesus, you can be sure, you can be sure that God is for you. And what we're going to do as we look at this particular passage, we're going to see what is God saying about himself? How is God showing who he is in this conversation he has with Abraham and this ceremony that he goes through? And, and we're going to look at a few different things. We're going to see, first of all, how there can be a questioning that takes place within belief. That there's a place for that. And then we're going to see how God gives assurance and how assurance comes in knowing God's greatness. We get assurance from that. And lastly, there's a question of personal application. We'll finish up on how can you know? How can I know that God is for me. So first, let's look at the beginning of this interaction between Abraham and God. And my hope is that you, if you're a Christian here today, that this is some comfort to you, that there is a place for there to be questioning within believing. Right? You can have questions, that's okay. You can, you can have doubts even. Now God wants us to be growing in surety. He wants us to be growing in, in our confidence in Him. He wants that for us, and, and yet we are saved, we are loved, we are cared for, not because of the strength of your confidence, right? be, but because of who God is, and His commitment, His faithfulness to us. So to get some context on what is happening here in, in this chapter, in the life of Abraham. Some of you are, are probably familiar with this, but this is coming in context, in context of God has already actually made a promise to Abraham. This happened a number of chapters earlier, uh, Genesis chapter 12. God already showed up to Abraham and he said, I'm going to I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family, and I'm going to make your children actually as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, the grains of sand on the seashore. All right, so God already did that. And now we kind of fast forward. Here we are in Genesis 15. It's a number of years later, and nothing has happened, seemingly. Right? Abraham, at least from how he sees his situation, he is no closer at all to inheriting any of these promises. Right? He, he doesn't even have a single child, right? let alone the makings of some great nation that's going to inherit all of this land. And, and so what God does essentially in this chapter, right, in this passage, he shows up again, and he, in essence, doubles down on this promise. He says to Abraham again, he says, Abraham, just look up. Just look up at the sky. Count the stars. Go ahead. Try to count the stars. That's how many your, your children are going to be. And then he follows that up with, you know, the land that I promised to give to you and, and to your children after you. It's this land. You're on it right now. That, that's the land that I'm going to give to all of your family. 
At this point, Abraham is at, at a point of incredulity with, with all of this, because he, he's just been wandering around, that he asks God, look, God, how can I know? How can I know that you're really going to do this? How can I know that my family is, is going to possess this land? I, look, look, God, like not only do I not have any kids at all, but uh, you're promising me that the kids that I don't have are going to inherit all of this land that, that we're just passing through. We're just tra- I don't even know where I am. And it, it, so it's really starting to stretch the imagination here for Abraham. And yet we are told, this, this is key, we're told a few verses earlier. If you look in verse 6, it says that Abraham heard God's promise and he believed the Lord. And he, that's God, he counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. So this here is Abraham's great act of faith. This is what, the, you get to the New Testament, it holds up Abraham as this kind of paradigm of faith in God, right? Because he, he doesn't waver, right? He, he holds fast to God. He keeps trusting, okay, God is going to do what he's promised him to do. And yet we can see here, right? And we get a category, which I hope is helpful for us, that even within belief, which Abraham had, right, within his faith that he is commended for, this posture of faith, he still has doubts. He's, he's still struggling with uncertainty. And he has questions about this. Faith is really hard. It, it just It's hard. God gives us faith as a gift, but... It is right, it is good, it's natural right, to have to keep asking God to give us more faith. Strengthen the faith that we have because it is hard. It's hard to walk by faith and not by sight, which is what Abraham is doing. Now, I think really any one of us, if, if we're put in the same situation as Abraham, I don't think that, if we're honest, I don't think that we're faring much better. You've got to keep in mind as well, we, we, we have so much more than Abraham as far as knowing who God is in, in the whole course of the Scriptures and the New Testament and Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and, and looking at and understanding who God is and, and how He has related to us. And Abraham didn't have any of that. And yet he's being asked here to walk in faith that his descendants, whom he has none, were going to be a multitude that no one can number, and that the area of land that Abraham is, is going to inherit, his children are going to inherit, he's never even going to see all of this land. So it's really hard. And so what we need to see is that there is a place for believing and yet still having some doubts. Right, still having questions, still needing that faith to grow and mature. And that's part of the nature of faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is an assurance of things hoped for. But that assurance does need to grow. Right? It, can be, it can be shaken, it can be troubled at various times, like it is here for Abraham. And what God wants us here, though, in the midst of that, in the, in the times that the, that happens, He wants us to do what Abraham is doing here. Right? And that is to come to Him with those questions. 
to bring those doubts to God, to bring those concerns. He's not going to reject us. He's not going to turn us away. He's not going to kick us out. But he's actually going to, like he does here, he's going to respond to Abraham with grace and with faithfulness. And God is also going to respond by pointing us to where we can get more assurance, where we can grow in our assurance. And this is where I want to turn next. So Abraham, basically, he asks God, okay, well, how can I get some more assurance that you're really going to do all these things that you're promising to do? It just seems so far distant. It seems so far off. It seems so improbable. Everything that you're telling me, God, can you give me some assurance of this? And God responds here in a way that none of us probably would think to respond. It's just, it's not probably natural for us. And yet, what God does here, what he says, he is actually answering Abraham's question. He is. He is actually giving Abraham a way to grow in his assurance. And so that's the question for us to think about. What is God trying to say here? Why is what God does here a way of him giving Abraham the assurance that he's asking for. So what does God do? Well, he tells Abraham, first of all, to prepare these animals for him. He's supposed to take these animals, he's supposed to sacrifice them, cut them in half, and he's supposed to make a little walkway for them. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then there's this deep sleep that comes on Abraham, and there's this deep darkness that falls as well. well what is this about? What is, what is God doing with that? Why is he bringing this darkness on Abraham that brings this sense of dread and fear, even terror? Now, you can imagine what this, this sort of feels like. You know, if you go out uh, in nature, or you're, you're inside, you suddenly step outside, and the, you just become aware of this deep, thick darkness. You, you, can, just, you can feel it. Right? And it brings with it this sense of the unknown, right? things that you can't see. And you, you become aware of your own helplessness, your own vulnerability. And it, it brings a sense of seriousness to that moment. It brings a sense of somberness, right? and, and all of your, your uh, senses go on high alert. Right? It, you, you tune up. And that's Actually, I think part of what God is trying to do here, he's, he's trying to get Abraham's attention and say, look, what's happening here, what I'm about to say is very serious. I really mean this. I want you to remember this. I want you to commit what is happening here to heart right, and not forget it. And so then God, he, he comes to Abraham and, and what does he do? Oh, he starts describing what is going to happen to the nation of Israel that's going to come from Abraham. And he starts talking about stuff that's going to happen hundreds of years in the future, 400 years later. And he talks about uh, their captivity in Egypt, and he talks about their exodus, and he, he talks about them returning to the land that Abraham is on right now. And by the way, if you look here, the four generations and the 400 years that God mentions, these are, these are rough estimates of time. It was about that long. And it's saying the same thing. A generation at this time was about 100 years. So, so God's saying the same things here. But 
he then assures, God goes on to assure Abraham what's going to happen to him, Abraham, in his own life, in his own lifespan. And, and God gives all of these details right, of what God's plans are and what's going to happen and how he's going to do these things and when this stuff is going to happen. And Why is he doing this? What does this have to do with Abraham's question? What does this have to do with getting assurance that God is going to fulfill his promises to Abraham? Well, it's really the same way that God typically gives us assurance that he's going to make good on his promises to us. And this is typically the same way that God answers our prayers. Now think about this and just, just ask yourself if this isn't the case, right? Um, let's say that you have some concern right, that's troubling you. There's a, a particular friend or, or particular family member that you are concerned about, or uh, there is a, a, a life circumstance that's coming up right, that's weighing on you, and, and you're, you are concerned over this, and you pray. Right? And what you're looking for from God is you're looking for assurance. You're looking for wisdom. You're looking for an answer to this particular concern. And so you read your Bible, and, and you pray, and, and sometimes you get a, a specific answer, right? Sometimes some specific grain of wisdom will come out of that that, that applies. But more often than not, it, it happens like it does here for Abraham. And what you get is more of the big picture. What you get is more of a picture of who God is, how great God is. Right, and so that's what's happening to Abraham here. Right? You, you, he's taken outside of himself, and he gets this glimpse into the incredible, detailed extent to which God has planned things. Hundreds of years from now, what is going to happen? Things are going to happen down the road in, in immense detail and specificity that God has prescribed how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, who's going to be involved, including some very hard things that are going to occur. Things that, that would normally happen, you think, well, God, God must not be uh, awake for this. God must not be tuned in. And, and the point is for Abraham to see and, and for us to see, okay, if that's who God is, and if that's how great God is, if that's how much control he really has, he, he's probably got this. He's probably got this particular concern, this particular worry as well. He's probably going to take care of that. And we come to a better assurance about our concerns, about our circumstances, mainly by getting a better picture of who God is. And so when you, when you do that, when that happens, right, and you see how great God is, what you're able to do, you really are able to leave more of it. You're really able to let more of it go because you say, okay, uh, God is really that big. God is really that incredible and good and powerful, and that means he's probably got a good handle on this. He's probably not going to let this, this thing, this issue just slip by. Right, or, or turn out poorly. And this brings us to the last point, which is the practical question of how can I know, or how can you know today, right, know for sure God is for you? 
right? And what you have to face today, what you have tomorrow, how can you know that he is going to be for you all the way through death? And this is where we've got to understand the significance of what God is doing with this torch and, and this fire pot, all, all the ceremony that God does. So what is happening here? So Abraham, when he asks God, how can I know you're going to follow through on his promises? God asks him to take all of these animals, right, cut them in half, and, and divide them up. you got one half against the other, and there's this walkway uh, in between this. And just so you know, there's a number of differing interpretations about what exactly is happening here. Uh, but I, I think the best one, the most common one, is that what is happening is that God is using what was a, a typical understood, familiar covenant practice at Abraham's time. Right? Something Abraham would have been familiar with. He would have known what is going on here. And, and that is that um, you, you took these, let's say there's, there's two parties making an agreement. You took these animals, you cut them in half, and there's a very solemn commitment that is made by both people, by both sides of this covenant. They, they walk down the line, between these halves of animals in a very serious commitment, what they're essentially saying is, if I don't hold up my side of the bargain, let me be cut in half, right? like, like one of these animals. And so this is probably what Abraham is expecting. This is probably what he's anticipating God is going to do. God is going to show up and he's going to ask Abraham to walk down this line and, and cement their agreement. But then what actually happens? Well, God, after Abraham does this, God shows up. He tells Abraham everything that he's going to do, God, and that it's going to happen. And then, it, an incredible twist, Abraham does nothing. Abraham just sits and he watches as God commits himself absolutely to Abraham, right, to do him good, to fulfill his promises to Abraham. And I think this is what is especially important for us to take away when we try to understand how does God show up? Who is God? What is the way that he shows up? It's not as if God doesn't have any expectations for our lives. It's not as if God doesn't have directions for us and how to live your life in the best way. But God, God shows up, and he, He's coming with nothing but promises. And then when it comes time to commit to those promises, when it comes time to seal them, or to make good on those, it's God. It's God who does it. It's God who walks through that line. The word Advent, Joe talked about this already, you're, you're probably aware, right? It's just, it means coming, or it means an arrival. And this is how God comes. This is how he shows up every single time. He comes to us with nothing but promises. And, and he commits himself absolutely to these promises because of Jesus. And what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus is the one who actually paid the price for us. And our failure to uphold our side of the agreement. That Jesus 
was cut in half. Jesus was broken. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross because of our utter and complete inability and failure to uphold our side of the agreement. Because of our inability to be faithful. Abraham doesn't live the perfect life before God. And neither do we. But this is a picture of what God is doing for us here. He's saying to Abraham, he's saying to us, you're not going to be able to do it. You are not going to be able to hold up your side of the bargain. You're not going to, you can't do it. But God is saying, I am so committed to doing you good that I will allow myself to be cut in half. I will allow myself to be divided and killed rather than break my commitment to doing you good. That is what our assurance is based on. That's what our confidence comes on. That if you are a Christian, God is more committed to your good than you are. That God will be divided in half. God will cease to be God before he lets fall one word of his commitment, one fraction of his love to you in Jesus. Now you go to these closing verses here, and God goes on. Right? It's as if Abraham is not convinced yet. And so God goes on to name all of the specific people groups that are currently living in the land that he has promised to give to Abraham. What is he doing here? Oh, this is what I want to close with. This is really important. Because God is really saying to Abraham, he's saying to us, I'm not distant. I'm not out of it. I'm not clueless. I know what's going on. I know he names the specific people groups. These are the specific obstacles that are in the way of God coming through on his promises. And God says, I know. I know what's there. Because this had to be going on in Abraham's mind. It'd be like, you're promising me there's people living in this land, God. And, and God says the same thing to us. Right? He knows your details. He knows the specifics of your circumstances. He, he knows the hurts that are going on, or, or the struggles, or the, or the, the brokenness, or the pain, or, or this, the impossibility of this mountain that you have in front of you. God... God is saying, none of these things are too hard. <laughs> none of these things have escaped my notice. right? And we can feel this way. Right? Well, other people, it's other people whose lives are less of a disaster. <clears throat> you know, they, they can have some confidence that God is for them. But if God knew what was happening in my life, he wouldn't be so committed. Right? He, he would be, be a little bit more standoffish. And God is saying he's not intimidated by by these issues in your life. So how can we trust God? How can you know that God is for you? When you leave the service here today, you start your day tomorrow. How do you know that? It's not based on how you're feeling toward God. That's really important. That's key. Because we are very wired to think that way, that God is only as committed to me as I am to Him. And praise God that is not the case. The central message of the gospel 
is that God offers to commit himself to you when you have done nothing to deserve that commitment at all. Because of Jesus, that's that's what the gospel is. And then the guarantee and the strength of that commitment is also sealed and carried through by God. It's not like, well, now, now I've got to carry the rest of it myself. And so whenever you doubt this or whenever you're unsure of is God really for me? Because I just don't, I don't really feel like it right now. Or, or my circumstances don't seem to be bearing that out. We have a much better reminder to look back on than Abraham on the, in this fire pot and this torch that, that he had as a reminder. We've got the cross. That Jesus went all the way through death so that we could be sure We could never doubt, not for a moment, for all of eternity, that if you are trusting in Jesus, God is for you. And we we can remember that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your commitment to us, so undeserved, so full, um, so without reservation. And we praise you for that. Uh, because we continue to not deserve it each day. We continue to fall short. We continue to not uh, uphold our side of the bargain, but we thank you that you you are holding together both sides of the bargain. Uh, You hold us to yourself because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.